Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sex Sales Podcast, the podcast where we talk about culture, relationships, dating in the modern world from a male and a female perspective. I'm Neil, the comedian, Eliza, the relationship therapist, and today we are talking about male-only spaces. Should they exist? Uh, Are they problematic? Should they exist more? What do we think about male-only spaces? I feel like that we're going to disagree on this one a little bit, so it could get nice and juicy. Um, We're going to get into that at the three-minute mark. Before we do, we're going to talk about our sponsors. We are sponsored by Crush Organics. Crush Organics have an amazing range of CBD oils and CBD products. I use the pain cream every single day. It's helped with my sciatica Uh, monumentally. I am almost deadlifting what I was before I had this back issue. So I think a lot of that is due to this pain cream. Honestly, it really does help. So get yourself the uh, Crush Organics CBD pain cream. They also have CBD oils, gummies, all sorts of things. Go to crushorganics.com, crush with a K and use the code Neil, N-E-E-L. Yes, that's how you spell my name, not N-E-I-L, N-E-E-L. Far more logical to spell it that way, in fact, not net ill. <laughs> and use that code and you'll get 40% off. So crushorganics.com. We're also sponsored by Comedy Untamed. Comedy Untamed runs shows all across the East Coast of Australia. Well, soon to be all aco- across the East Coast of Australia. We've got a Brisbane show coming soon. Uh, but we do weekly shows in Sydney. They've been selling out, so get your tickets. Weekly shows in Melbourne. Uh monthly in newcastle we're doing shows in geelong we've got a wagga wagga show of all places coming up uh late july either that will be on sale now or on sale soon so if we have any listeners in wagga wagga come along to that uh the comedians from sydney and the comedians from melbourne are each going to drive four and a half hours and meet each other and do a mega show so you get the best of both worlds come to that and there's a there's a big showcase on at the end of the year in sydney and that's on November 30th. And this is this is a huge comedy event. We're trying to change the game of Australian comedy. So comedyuntamed.com, uh, neilcolhacker.com slash tickets. That should be on that uh, website as well. So come along to that. And mail-only spaces. Ooh. I've got some good statistics for you to start on this one, though. Yes, please. So uh, I'll articulate those straight out after this. All right, so just before uh, we started this podcast, Eliza said that she's going to get triggered at this podcast, but I said, let me read you these statistics and then we'll see how you feel. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. (laughs) I'm stressed. I don't know why. According to a study conducted by the YouGov Cambridge Globalism Project in 2019, 24% of American men reported that they had a group of male friends that they just met with regularly. A study published in the journal Gender and Society found that men who participate in male-only groups tend to feel a greater sense of emotional support and camaraderie and may be more likely to engage in activities that challenge traditional masculine norms. A report from the Australian Human Rights Commission found that men who participate in male-only groups may have a better sense of well-being and be less likely to experience social isolation 
Research conducted by the Men's Sheds Association in the UK found that men who participate in male-only spaces tend to have better mental health outcomes, including reduced levels of depression and anxiety. And finally, a study published in the Journal of Men's Studies found that men who participate in male-only groups may be more likely to challenge gender stereotypes and embrace a more flexible and inclusive view of masculinity. So there you go, counterintuitive statistics there to what I assume most people would think about male-only spaces. I'm assuming a lot of people, um, particularly women, particularly younger women, would assume male-only spaces would uh, ferment a culture of toxic masculinity and hatred towards women. But those statistics suggest otherwise. So what do you think hearing those statistics? I mean, I'm already convinced for it <laughs> in like oh, 20 well, seconds. I Podcast mean, I was, over. <laughs> see ya. Um, I was always for it. Like I'm a big advocate for men's shed, which is an Australian thing um, that supports uh, mental men's mental health where they basically go to a tool shed and they do man things, but it's not really about that. It's just a place for men to meet and socialize and talk about topics. Um, and I talk about that with my clients a lot. Um, when I worked at Lifeline that when we're talking to older males, um, I think my hesitation and concern with this podcast came from, I, I hate when, uh, and hate's a strong word. I get nervous when we talk about, Topics that can turn into a men versus women thing. And I like the sure. podcast we do where everyone messages me being like, I love that. It was so true and it impacted me so positively. And I hate the podcast when it's so controversial and we're getting ripped in the comments. And I know you like those ones, but it's one of those things where it's when I looked it up, when you first sent it, the idea a couple of weeks ago, I looked it up, I Googled it like once. And I came across it on Reddit and people were talking about it and every single comment, this is Reddit, so, you know, whatever, take that with a grain of salt, but every single comment was basically hating women, like feminists have taken everything and women can't have allow men to do anything and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, I'm not doing, <laughs> I'm not going into this. Um, but, yeah, I guess there is a lot of um, importance for it. Um but there's also a very high need to have women-only spaces as well. So I think the question isn't necessarily like, well, why do women allow? Are they allowed and men aren't? Um, that being said, I don't know what the laws were in Australia. I don't know if you looked it up, but I was seeing that in the US and many states, it's actually illegal to have men-only groups, but it is legal to have women-only I mean, not groups, sorry, spaces, um, which I thought was interesting. I don't know what the laws are in Australia around that. But, yeah, I didn't know that. I did not know that. Aside from jail, of course, um, that's a men's, <laughs> men's only space and women's only space. Um, country clubs, though, there's a lot of men's country clubs. That's one. Um, there's still a lot of, uh, yeah, sex-segregated schools. Yeah. Um, Freemasons. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know much about it, but I know that's all men. Mm. Uh, Barbershops, I don't know if they can, I don't know if they're fully, well, I mean, not, obviously it's a majority, but. Yeah, there's these situations where it's not like women are excluded from coming into these spaces, but generally men are the ones going into barbershops and women are going into hairdressers. Yeah. And you get very 
male-focused conversation in a barbershop, ironically enough. Mm. And from what I hear, you get very female-focused conversation in a in a hairdresser. Yeah. Um, so isn't that interesting? I think a lot of this, I, I would I would guess a lot of the fear and some of those laws about male-only spaces come from a historical context where these were uh, high-powered professional spaces that denied access to women. But now I think men are asking for spaces where they can just socialize with other men and just have a club or something like that where they just talk about what they're experiencing in their life and it's it's not as though there needs to be a law saying that women are not permitted in this space but I yeah. think uh, a lot of us question why why is that such a why is that considered such a threat when when yeah I looked it up on a feminist reddit as well I looked it up on the men's right reddit which was the one that was hating on women constantly and then I looked it up on the feminist reddit the same question which is very convenient for me that it came up on both. And on the feminist one, they were saying like they were, they was basically all the women were saying, I'm not necessarily against it. It's just that I believe it's historically been a cesspool for misogyny and sexism um, and congregating and talking about violence against women or derogatory about women in the same sense of a way that, for example, maybe men on a construction site may talk in an offensive manner about women. Um, but then again, wouldn't you rather that be done privately <laughs> rather than out in the open? So it's, I don't know, it's a hard thing. Uh, but I think you're right in that the historical context needs to be taken into place that, you know, men previously or historically had exclusive power in both their private and public life and they controlled, you know, the environment and the way in which space was designed and who could attend it usually. And in some many countries and places, women weren't allowed to be, they had to be escorted by mail. And then that's still that way in, in some places. And I think that another thing that we need to take into consideration, which doesn't take away from the fact that men-only spaces perhaps do need to exist, but the reason why women-only spaces exist, a lot of that comes down to actually just safety from men or safety from perceived harassment, um, whether or not – and that's what I knew would be the kind of controversial aspect of this podcast is people denying that or saying not all men and things like that. Of course, um, and, you know, I – I don't know if I ever even said this, but my back injury, uh, I don't know if I said it on this podcast, so my back injury when I was assaulted actually came from an extremely large, heavy woman and not a man. And a lot of people think it was a man that assaulted me, but it was a woman. Um, and yet I still have no fear around being around women, even though that was the thing that put me in a hospital. Um, it's still... Men that concern me, and I, like I said last week, I signed up at a podcast. Um, I signed up a podcast. Sorry, I signed up at a Why gym. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that is that even though a woman was the person who assaulted you, you don't have any fear? Because from other it women? was the one and only time in my life I have ever been assaulted by a woman, and I can't even count on like 
I've lost fingers on how many times I've been physically assaulted or at least verbally or sexually harassed by men. Like it, I would say it's been hundreds. Um, and I also know the history of this woman was that she had a very, she was on ice when she uh, attacked me and it made her very strong and very aggressive. And it's not so common that I walk past people on ice every day or interact with them. And also based on the profession that I do, being in, you know, working with families and things like that, I knew that was a trigger. So there was all these kind of contextual things. And it's really interesting to me because I reflect on this a lot, actually. I was thinking about this yesterday, that that event that occurred to me, I have no trauma from that at all. I have trauma from the pain that I went through and I experienced from the year. And I still get really like scared when I think about the pain I was in. But the actual event, um, even though I was in hospital, I had a broken rib, my back was fucked for a whole year. I still don't think, I don't hold that much trauma from that. Um, And I know people that witnessed it, (laughs) someone was telling me recently, still seek a therapist because they only witnessed it. Um, but it's, yeah, it's really interesting. And when I signed up at this gym and this guy was doing this walk around for me and he kept talking. And then at the very end, he was like, do you have any questions? And I said, the reason I went to this gym was because it's a 24 hour gym. And I like to, if I go to the gym historically, I liked to go in the late evening, like nine or 10 o'clock. And especially now since having a baby, that's basically going to be the only time that works for me. So when he said, do you have any questions? The only question I ha- asked was like, what what safety protocols do you have in place if I'm coming in here on unstaffed hours? Like, do you have like a duress alarm or something? Because sometimes they have like a little ribbon that you can put around your neck with a button on it in case something were to occur. Um, and then I was asking him, are there security cameras in, because you have to get a lift up from a car park, walk down these corridors in order to get in, because it's in a shopping center. Um after hours. And I was like, are there cameras there? And this guy didn't know. He was like, I don't know. I'm so sorry. I actually, I don't know if we have those things. So he went and got the manager of the gym and the manager came up to me and was like, yeah, this is the duress alarm. We do have those. And yes, there's cameras everywhere. The entire place is like surrounded, uh, blah, blah, blah. But it's just one of those things that I thought was really interesting that this man that worked there didn't even know about it and hadn't had to kind of consider it. But those are my immediate questions when I'm joining a unisex gym was what safety measures are in place for me if I come late in the night and there's, and I'm concerned. But if that had been a women's only gym, I wouldn't ask those questions. I wouldn't even have considered it. And I looked for a women's only gym as well, but it was too far away from me. So it's just an interesting um, kind of, there and this is why women's only spaces amongst other reasons but this is why they exist as well because 99 or maybe not 99 it's like 96 or whatever some 90 something percent of violence and harassment that women are I guess that occur to women are usually at the hand of men particularly straight men um so that's why some places include women and queer people um or women and non-gender conforming people um but yeah so i don't know it's i i feel like it's one of those topics that i know like men in particular that listen to this are going to get all like 
pissed off in the comments about it and and when I talk about you know that assault people will be like well that's hypocritical and I know that um but it's it doesn't change the way I feel and it doesn't change my lived experience and the lived experience of a lot of women as well yeah uh that's that's interesting and mm. I don't think I, I well if there are men who are saying the the reason for a male only space should be exactly the same as for a woman's only space because the, of physical danger concerns then I, I i would argue against that as well i don't think that's the main yeah. reason why there are now calls for male only spaces i think most of those calls are coming from uh men who've studied modern culture and also a lot of women there are there are prominent feminists who are talking about this as well mary harrington is one and um louise perry uh and i think camille parlia talks about it as well where the dynamic can change in um a space of say socialization or where activities are occurring when it's either purely male unisex or when it's purely female and yeah. We want to kind of avoid that because it's an uncomfortable topic and we like to think, okay, gender is all very socially constructed and there are huge elements of gender that are socially constructed, but there are there are also just the sort of things we talk about where men have different hormonal makeups and, and, and physiological uh, differences where... The, the dynamic does change when you're in a space with uh, other women. And that's not to say that's a yeah. bad thing, yeah. but sometimes you want a release or a uh, just a space where you can actually be yourself. Yeah. And so it, it seems like there's this unfair criticism of those spaces, assuming that, oh, it must be toxic or it must be where men are developing these horrible ideas about women when the statistics I, I, I read out at the start of this podcast yeah. were completely counterintuitive to that mm-hmm. narrative. And look, of all the male-only spaces that exist out there in the world, without a doubt there would be some where there are a gathering of men who are talking about how much they resent women, sure. But I don't think it's fair to uh, paint all male spaces with that brush and assume that if there isn't any female presence in a space at any given time, men are just going to simply, you know, back each other up on how much they hate women. I think, first of all, that's, yeah. that's quite a fair, I mean, I, that, that I find that kind of offensive where to assume yeah. that if I'm just there with my male friends, all we're talking about is how amazing Andrew Tate is or something like that. That's just <laughs> ridiculous. Um, yeah, and exactly. so yeah. I, People who have that opinion, I wonder what they've maybe experienced in their life or if they need to sort of broaden their perspective a little bit because that's just not true. And uh, that I'd be lying if I say there aren't times when I'm just with my male friends when I feel a bit more comfortable and we communicate in a very different way. We're more yeah. ideas-focused and... Uh, yeah, look, the jokes are different. There's a different threshold of what we deem appropriate and that can be threatening to people. And and look, taken to the extreme, that can obviously be quite bad. But to to deny any ability for for men to just kind of develop their own culture within a space 
that isn't completely different from what is expected of them in the mainstream or what is sort of normalized in in uh, mainstream unisex environments. Yeah. Under the assumption that it will always be dangerous or it could be toxic, it's it's unfair. I I I can't see how uh, that's a fair way to to just think about men because it's saying that men just inherently have this hatred towards women and as soon as you let them organize in a group where there's just them they're just going to ferment those attitudes and just amplify them which is the thing is though wrong is i agree a hundred percent i agree with everything you said but i also think that we have to be conscious of when we're saying why we're preventing it and not that you were saying this, but I don't want people to interpret it like all women are preventing men from having men-only spaces sure. um, because that's absolutely not the case. And when I talked about that woman on, on that feminist Reddit, that was one reply from one woman. So it's not the whole view of women at all. And this is, this is which I'm glad we're actually talking about this because the more we talk about it, the more I'm like, this isn't a, this is actually an important conversation to be had. Um, but the reason I was hesitant about it because I, I was so like, I don't want this to become a woman blaming thing, which it's not. Um, but that's what I feel like people can interpret it as. And, I didn't do much research on it except for like two minutes before this podcast started. And um, I was looking at how like, well, what men-only spaces are there? And there are a few, but there is way more women spaces. Like women have women-only spaces at universities, women-only clubs, women-only gyms. Um, anyway, there's countless things. And even women-only workspaces as well, like um, – hubs where you can do your on, uh, work from home kind of hubs. And I think that it's, it is interesting and it makes sense to me why there are women only spaces. It doesn't make sense to me why there aren't necessarily men's only spaces. And that was what I tried to look up for like five minutes before. And what I set, found aside from there being apparent, which I didn't fact check this laws in the US, some states in the US that say that it's just discriminatory to have only male only spaces that deny access to women. I also found that there were gym chains um, created in the US, for example, that were men only, but just it never lifted. Like no one cared enough to go to it because, and it was interpreted that it wasn't as important to men to have just for the space of gym to have a male only gym space. Um, they didn't kind of care about that enough to have it. So maybe in, it may not necessarily be that people are preventing it. It may be that it's just not enough. No, no one has created enough. And maybe True. there are hesitations from men to be like, I don't want to create these clubs or spaces because I don't want it to be perceived as being misogynistic or a cesspool for sexism like someone had oh. written earlier that I mentioned before. And you don't want people to feel embarrassed or shamed to say, I'm going to a men's only club because you're right. The conversations that you have within your own gender can be so different to when there's outside influence. And I was thinking when you said that, when I lived with my previous housemate before I met Adrian, I lived with this guy and he's a little bit more conservative than me, bless him. And every time I had the girls over, we'd be talking about sex. We'd be talking about the guys we're dating. We'd be talking about all these details. And he would say to me, like, I hate 
the conversations you have. I hate overhearing them. I hate the way you talk about the men. And I'm like, wait, we don't say anything bad about guys. And he's like, you're talking about this guy's genitals. You're talking about this. And I was like, but they're strangers. And it's, you know, there's women are doing it too. Um, and then after that, he said that he kind of called me out on it. And I was like, I didn't say anything. He was like, oh, it's not so much you. It's just, it's more the other girls. But I think he was just saying that to protect me because I know I talk about sex and relationships probably more than anyone. Um, I've literally do that as a living. Um, but I, after that, I consistently was every time I had friends over, even when he was in his bedroom, I was so conscious of asking my friends, like, oh, who are you dating? How did that, how was it? how was it? What happened? I like whisper it because I didn't want him to overhear it. And then I try to like, if my friend was getting really passionate, I'd try to steer the conversation away. And one time we were talking about sex toys and he walked past and he got really uncomfortable. And yeah, that he was an influencing factor and there was no factor of feeling unsafe there. He was probably one of the males I felt the most safest around, but it was just the different dynamic of what can be talked about within different groups. And it's the exact same, like what you were saying, men need a safe space to talk and not necessarily that women pose a threat to that, but it does change the dynamic completely. Um, and you want to be able to kind of speak freely without someone interjecting, or you may, it, it and like you said, with that study where it said it actually is, beneficial in the sense that it's more likely to challenge gender stereotypes because if there was someone in a men's only group saying something that's say misogynistic and sexist and a woman overhears it and calls it out the chances of her convincing him of that that that's misogynistic and sexist if he's a misogynistic person is unlikely that she's going to influence him but if another man challenges that and says, hey, man, like actually that's not true or something, he's way more likely to come around <laughs> the other way. It's 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 way more beneficial in the same way that it probably is for women as well when they say things like I'm sure there are groups of women where they meet up and say men are trash. <laughs> so yeah, those are girls groups on Facebook. Some of those are. Uh, screenshots oh, get leaked yeah. and <laughs> a lot of men are in I'm in one of those at what groups. They, at what they see. I mean, I saw one where it it's was brutal. a girl talking yeah. about how she broke a man's phone and then gaslit him and, and oh. Oh, just did all these all sorts of crazy things. And mm. another woman actually screenshotted it and posted it out in public. And, yeah, look, as soon as you get these spa- – it, it's, it's sort of what you're seeing on the internet right now, aren't you? Because you're – allowing people who otherwise would have just existed within their geographic location and might have had their strange thoughts but would have been alone in those strange thoughts. What the internet has done is allowed all those people with strange or fringe thoughts to congregate in a big yeah. in a big online hub where they can then feel validated in how they're thinking and then that can get yeah. to a, a very extreme point because they're always constantly validating each other and trying to challenge each other whereas if you're in a just a work environment of a hundred quote unquote average people. And there's someone there with strange or fringe or radical ideas. Those ideas don't really ever get exposed. And yeah, you're opening the door for that in male spaces, but just, I just can't say there's more, there's far more benefits that uh, yeah. outweigh the cost, but you're also correct in saying, I don't think many women actually are against it. Uh, I don't think, uh, there are women campaigning to deny uh, men's only spaces. And and you're also right in saying that if someone did open a male-only space, 
look, the sort of people who might be attracted to it initially could be some of the ones who have unsavory ideas about about the opposite gender. And if you did something like that and opened a new a, 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 a modern male-only club, you'd have to have a very strict code of ethics to deny it because already there'll be people in society that are thinking, oh, this is just going to be a hub for uh, sexism. And so you'd then have to take a lot of responsibility to say that I, I'm going to go above and beyond to ensure that doesn't mm. come about. And mm. you're also right in saying there are certain gyms that are branded in a way where, yeah, look, only men are going to go to this gym. Uh, yeah. a hardcore gym is a perfect example uh, something like the UFC, you go to watch a UFC fight or a boxing fight. Yeah, there's women there, but it's a very yeah. male-dominated uh, just situation. So it's not like men's only spaces don't exist, but I think more what you were talking about where there's, there's clubs in university or there's uh, just sort of organizations that can be for male issues and that just doesn't seem to be permitted in this day and age yet well i think that might actually be changing where there's now i think it was the it was either the uk or the us a western country that instated the first minister for men and it was going to look at issues like boys falling behind in in school and all these new issues that seem to be emerging and the argument would be look if you don't allow men's only spaces in in the physical world, well, they're just going to find them in the digital world and that's where you get the most resentful and weird socially isolated people who congregate in Discord groups that just uh, develop quite unhealthy attitudes whereas if there was a a, a men's only club that met every Saturday where they, I don't know, they went to the gym, then they read – stoicism and then they watch the UFC I don't know whatever it might be but they all just sort of talked amongst each other and uh you know sort of embrace that male-only dynamic then I I can't see a I can't see an issue with that that'll probably help a lot of men if you get them out of the online silos and and tell them to actually do things like that and again you're you're just thinking about that Uh, there's nothing actually denying groups of men from from doing that um I think, I think it's, some of it just comes from wanting the title of of not not being culturally shamed for wanting a male only space, and yeah, yeah, a, a, a lot of it just comes from that. Um, the one about um, so without a doubt, look, women are the ones that experience the vast majority of uh, domestic violence here. But then what happens when you have these women-only shelters is that when men do experience domestic violence, which they do, there's no haven for them. They can't go anywhere. And that's something I found a lot on online forums. Now, a lot of this is anecdotal. I don't know. I don't know. I haven't really researched this in depth, but it's a common complaint that comes up from men saying, "I, I experienced physical abuse from a female partner and I couldn't go to the domestic shelters obviously because the the ones there were often women only and then the police didn't necessarily take it that seriously and I didn't really yeah. have anywhere to they go. Don't. So yeah. there was, uh, I think it was either Canada or the UK where they tried to bring in a male or a unisex domestic violence shelter but they didn't 
let them do it. It was it was um, seen yeah. as yeah, it was sort of seen as limiting the ability for women to have their the the safe space that they needed. So that that's one where I, I just can't see how that yeah. something like that in a big city there should probably be one if if there are uh, a lot of shelters that are that are women only that there should be one for for men um yeah it's it's definitely an issue and even in australia when i was younger i worked it with um homeless youth like young people 12 to 21 that were homeless and they basically the way it worked is they would have an up to two year um lease with a, an apartment or something that the government would provide to us that we would i would support them in and then if they still didn't have accommodation they would go to a different organization or if they weren't at the point where they could live independently they would go into a crisis refuge which is a three-month support for any young person um and if what if the three months have passed and there's nowhere we can place them, they have to go into another refuge with another organization. And basically, I found that when I had boys on my caseload, finding places that would take boys in, especially to a refuge, because it's more like a lot more chaos occurs there. They'd be like, "We're full," and then I call up later that day and be like, "I've got a 16 year old girl. Yeah, we can take her." <laughs> um, and which was really, is, yeah, really frustrating for me at that point. It was nice beyond that. frustrating. Yeah. And you could spend nine months, well, I literally did spend nine months trying to find a place for one boy and no one would take him because he had a history of violence, yet they would take 12 of the girls I had in the same places. So it definitely occurs and it's really sad because it's like, well, what support systems are in place for our men, let alone our young men and young people um, to help them? There's interventions in school, which I think that that is one area that's done really well and probably equally across the board is supports and information and resource sharing within schools. But what happens when you're past the point of preventing and you need an immediate response and action? Yes, there's like if you look it up, if you go to like there's a website called Link to Home and you can find 60 different refuges in in one in Sydney or whatever that they could possibly go to. And it seems like there's a million resources, but it still comes down to that person or the bosses or the refuge leader's personal opinion on what they think because they have to take into account the personal dynamics and the safety of everyone. So there's prejudice there mm. and assumptions and discrimination as well. So, And you're right with domestic violence and even homeless shelters for all homeless people that often – I know in some places it's first in best dress, like you line up and you go in and you have a place for the night, but when you're applying for something, it can be different. However, I do believe I haven't had so much experience working in public housing. I have had a little bit, but I do believe at least in public housing, it's pretty across the board there in providing housing to men and women equally, but there's a 10-year wait list just for like the priority list basically. So right. if you're homeless, you're waiting at least 10, 20 years for a house yeah. eventually. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough no one. There's no immediate solution. Because yeah. if, you're, if you're trying to house someone that has come from a broken home and uh, you know that they're likely to be violent, well, you, you do know the man is probably more likely to be violent than the woman. And so 
you're just sort of playing the statistics there and think, all right, I've got a shelter here with five women and, and here's a guy that probably doesn't need the help, but if he has a history of violence himself, well, well, what are you going to do? You've got to kind of look out yeah. for the women there. But then if anything, that actually uh, promotes the idea of a male-only uh, shelter because then you don't have to worry about the safety of the women who are already in that shelter. Yeah. You have... I mean, you've got to, if it's a violent person, the men should still be the the men in there also need protection. Yeah. It's, it's uh, there's also big size dynamics between men, and I can say as a smaller guy, I yeah. you know if I'm in a room with a bunch of big dudes that look a bit scary, like I also feel not that I feel unsafe necessarily, but I know if anything ever happened, um, yeah, you're more. I don't have a chance to to fight back at this point, so yeah. Um, there are a lot more boy group homes than there are girl group homes. Oh, but okay. I would say a boy group home is the last place on earth any kid should be in. I would as a if I was a thirteen year old boy, knowing what I know now, I'd rather be living on the streets than be in a boys group home. Like it's just the most wow. horrific place to be. And I've worked in them as well. It's just like devastatingly sad and violent and abusive it's it's crazy that's why you see that shit on a current affair all the time and it's not necessarily just because of the workers it's just like so much testosterone hormones puberty maxed with trauma violent behaviors it's a recipe for disaster so they try to it's safer to have boys live independently where possible but then that's not always possible. There's not always places available. Um, so yeah. it's it's so hard. It's so sad because working in my job in foster care, if a boy lost his placement, I would do literally anything to avoid him going into a group home. I paid, not me personally, but <laughs> like half a million dollars a year to keep a kid living in a hotel with workers rather than putting him in a group home, even though, you know, government was like, he needs to go in a home. I was like, no way, <laughs> like, like over my dead body kind of thing, anything to avoid it. But then it's like, well, that's taxpayers' money. It's there's so it's so convoluted and there's so many issues with it. But I feel like the amount of, and it just speaks to the amount of support and intervention that does go into group homes. It's at some point it's the most, it's extremely expensive. There's hundreds of thousands of dollars of government programs to try to support those, but it's just not effective. And I know that the stats of kids that end up in a group home, their outcome in life is far more likely to be met with early death, suicide, severe mental health, uh, criminal activity, um, no education, unemployment, poverty Hmm. compared to basically anywhere else. So it's, yeah, it's really sad. It's, it's devastating. Um, And then I worked in girls homes and which was really sad in the sense that they had endured a a severe abuse. Like I worked with um, girls that were in forced marriages and things like that and homes for that. But the, uh, by the end of the year, these girls, I was getting them scholarships. I was getting them to university and like all these amazing opportunities were able to come up much more for the girls than 
what would come for the boys, unfortunately. That reminds me of that. It's a really good book, Of Boys and Men. Uh, it just came out last mm. year, Richard Reeves, and he's sort of done a few of the talk shows in America. And he's a – because you think anyone who writes a book about boys and men and the issues they face, a lot of people will have an immediate reaction of dismissal. But a mm. lot of people who would otherwise be very progressive have – really found a lot of wisdom in in this book and and found it quite interesting so i'd recommend anyone read that book and he talks about how boys are actually heavily influenced by the environment a lot more than girls which sort of links yeah. to what you were talking yeah. about where a girl could grow up in a relatively abusive household but then with the right in with, with within another 2 years in a in a positive environment they can sometimes have much better outcomes than yeah. a boy who even if he spent just two or three years in a, uh, a, a terrible environment then it's almost like he's consigned to a a, a life of uh you know low really low socioeconomic behaviors and uh environments and and it's it's really unfortunate and he uh, was saying that there's a space for male-only socialization environments where, you know, sometimes men can actually discipline boys in a way that is a bit more effective and lead them on the path because they know what it has been like being a boy and having all that testosterone and having gone through puberty and and just being more horny than you can imagine and unable to focus and how to actually integrate that into something uh, constructive and, and beneficial for society. And that's not to say women can't raise boys at all, but uh, just because of the ex having had the lived experience of being a boy, it gives you a bit more insight into, um, on average, into raising a, a, another boy. And Definitely. Uh, when now we're we're seeing a lot more, you know, education is is very female, and uh, care industries are very female, as you would know. And there's a lot more single mothers, and there's just less positive male influences in many young boys' life, especially in lower socioeconomic areas. And so they look up. Who do they see that is inspiring and emulates masculine ideals and can climb social hierarchies? Gangster rappers, people like Andrew Tate. Uh, superheroes, just these sort of mm -hmm. either childish or uh, unhealthy uh, heroic figures that they're looking up to and then emulating the characteristics of. And yeah. there's a space, yeah. there's, a, there's a very strong argument to be said about male spaces, particularly for young boys, where they interact with older men who are just... They don't have to be incredible men by any means, but just socially healthy, productive, constructive members of society. You know, this is a really big thing in um, Indigenous communities. There's men's group, women's group, or I think they call it women's work and men's work. Um, I might be wrong with that phrasing, but something similar, sorry. Um, but it's it's very, very common that men um, or boys will be grouped with men and elders within the community who teach them 
ways or they might do a trip or they go back home or back to bush or something um and we would see that a lot at work and it was so so powerful and so amazing and like you said to look at someone that can inspire you and i think that what happens a lot when people have endured trauma um and this is a little bit of you know armchair psychology it's a lot more in depth than the way I'm about to summarize it, but who you are when you've endured trauma as a child, who you are as an unhealed adult, like if you haven't gone to therapy, you haven't done all this work, who you are as an adult is exactly who you needed to be or who you wanted to be when you were that child being abused. So when I'm talking about these girls that have become, you know, successful and they're getting university scholarships and all these things, when they were enduring abuse, they dreamt of being a girl that or being a woman that was empowered, making her own decisions, being free, independent, etc. And boys were when they were being abused, have become men that are strong, can hold their own, can fight, can survive, are mm. tough, yeah. and that's what they had needed when they were kids. And like I said, that's very armchair psychology. There's a lot more to it, but it's so true. And when I see people and I meet people and I work with people that have these tendencies or are really you know, a little bit unhinged or, or violent or aggressive – I just think this person is protecting their inner child and that's what they would have needed and that's what they wanted when they were a kid. Um, so it's a it's a good perspective to have on people when you meet them and see, I understand you more now. Yeah, I think that's yeah. a great insight. And Yeah, so not necessarily just about the influences. Although, yeah, I don't know if you – I just saw um, the other day that they've banned um, rap music at – the Easter show, um, like hip-hop music. And I thought of you immediately because I know you kind of <laughs> always talk about how like rap does have an influence on youth. And it's so funny because before I saw this article, I was talking about this with Adrian in the car. We were listening to hip-hop or something. I don't know. <laughs> I, feel like, I don't know why that sounds so cringe. We were listening to hip-hop. <laughs> but we were and in front of Remy and he's a baby. He doesn't understand anything yet. But I was saying like how you – talk about how it influences youth. And I was like, it's so funny because I never acknowledged that at all. And I listened to this religiously when I was a kid. I knew all the words, but I didn't know oh, so any did of I, the meaning. Yeah. But now they've banned it. And they were saying, you know, last year there was a, a fatal stabbing. I, th- I think it was fatal. Yeah. With like there well, was the all this gang wars, yeah. Yeah, and they were saying that they believe it was influenced heavily by the rap music. And that was that was playing at the Easter show and pumping people up. And I was like, part of me is just like, that's just what? Like crazy. But I guess it does make sense in some ways. But I don't know. I have mixed feelings about it. But I just kept hearing your words ring through my mind. (laughs) Yeah, I have a very uh, um, (laughs) – I have mixed opinions about hip-hop because I – I love it. I love hip hop music and yeah. my whole playlist at the gym is some of the most aggressive hip hop I could yeah, find. <laughs> and it really does tap into these sort of animalistic urges that mm. I have and it articulates them in a way that's artistically compelling and fun mm. and lively and boorish and 
uh, exciting, but at the same time, I know how influential the uh, the values uh, are in a lot of gangster rap and and you know drill rap, and I can't see how that's uh, good for a, a a boy who's growing up in a low socioeconomic environment out in Western Sydney or wherever he might be, mm. but. Banning it is not the solution either. It just means there needs to be better alternatives for him. Mm. There needs to be better heroes for him. And if there aren't better heroes, yeah, of course you're going to look up to someone who's a multimillionaire, king of the castle. In many ways, and look, these are the poets of the that ilk of society. These are the 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 poets of the hood. They are the artistic, creative people of the of the hood. Uh, so. Look, if they have other creative outlets, if they have better role models and they have opportunities that uh, mean they don't have to pursue a life of um, gang activity, well, that seems to be more of the solution. Uh, A better cultural message rather than shaming them for one cultural message. Yeah, And I just don't know what that cultural message is though because, I mean, I'm going to be honest, I looked at that... that, um, Four Corners episode on the postcode wars and, you know, the way some of those guys were talking about the gang lifestyle and the brotherhood and the camaraderie and how they're willing to die for each other, part of me was drawn to it because I I, I think men have an an intrinsic urge to be in a brotherhood and there is that quote, what is it? It's um, if a man doesn't have something to die for, he has nothing to live for. If a man doesn't have a, a wife or, or children that he's willing to die for, if he doesn't have a cause that he's willing to die for, he's got nothing to live for. And then I, I think that's really true. And yeah. that's what that's these gangs so give people. They give them something to die for. And wow, yeah, uh, it really uh, was a, was confusing uh, because <laughs> some of it, there was a little part of me that I think I, I had more of when I was a when I was a kid that was drawn to it and thought this yeah. is so uh compelling to be part of this yeah. kind of ruthless brotherhood uh that are, that's trying to gain territory and yeah. you know uh be be top of the be king of the castle king of the uh the culture king of the location and I think that's just part of our physiological makeup as men now the issue is you got to try to integrate that into something constructive and it's hard to do that because now we're moving to a society where you know things that men have an inherent advantage in namely physical strength and object style learning that's just less there's less demand for that uh automation is gonna it's already over the 20th century has taken a lot of those kind of jobs and now, if anything, there's a much more demand for things that women have an inherent advantage in, such as care professions and yeah. emotional intelligence. And so this trend of women out earning men is probably just going to, well, up to, up to the age of 35, I think, and women just generally doing better and having more social status on average, it's probably going to continue. And this might be even the first time in history where there's, there's um, and that's not to say that, you know, women have yeah, yeah. A, a, a societal advantage in every area of life by any means but professionally we might be getting to that point we're not there yet but looking at the trends and just thinking about the areas that are going to uh, require a lot of 
more demand of the fu- in the future. I, I just don't see how, you know, a, a guy who's born with these urges to be part of a tribe and, and be violent and, uh, you know, strive for something really, um, really dominant or just be, just, you know, live that kind of stereotypically male animalistic life. I just can't see how we can integrate that into a world where there's no more physical jobs or there's no more jobs that require any kind of semblance of those skills. And I think there just has to be a new roadmap for how to get the best out of men. And I think male-only spaces play a part in that. I think so as well. And I also think that, like you said before, there is – a much greater importance does need to be put on male role models. And when you think about this Andrew Tate following, you can see the appeal initially is he's a dominant, successful, rich man who does well with the ladies and everything he says is a crock of shit. But also what's the alternative? What other male is out there with that level of success that is speaking to the youth saying, here's what you need to do and has that kind of like encouragement and camaraderie aspects. And then like, yeah, there's people like Logan Paul (laughs) and Jake Paul who are also kind of. And they're very popular. But they're so popular. And imagine the power that they have or could have. If they were talking about things like mental, like you know how they released that drink. I can't. What's it called? I don't know. Prime. Um, Prime. And there's th- th- videos of thousands of kids flocking the shelves to get this yeah, fucking very popular soft drink or energy drink because it was made by like Logan Paul. And the one you know, I've never liked Logan Paul or Jake Paul, obvious for obvious reasons, except for the one time where. I liked when they used their platform to call out Andrew Tate (laughs) and so many of their followers were conflicted because they liked Andrew Paul. Uh, They liked, wait, it says Andrew Tate and they also liked Logan Paul and then Logan Paul was like what Andrew Tate is saying is misogynistic and then all the followers are so confused about whose side to take. So I thought it was effective in that way but there needs to be more like influences of that level speaking to these boys and saying things like being cool as well and being successful but also putting out messages that are healthy <laughs> and and probably helpful and inspirational in a better way. Yeah, it's hard though because when you're a teenage boy, you're just you're inherently rebellious and then the um, evolutionary psychology theory from this is that as you're moving towards your teenage years, you're you're you know toying with your autonomy and so as anyone who has you know teenage children would know but particularly male teenage children they're a nightmare they don't listen to anything and they just will always rebel and do whatever they're supposed to not do and so then it becomes very counterintuitive to try to inspire guys of that age look when guys get to their mid-20s they're often a lot more receptive to those sorts of ideas but as a teenager it's 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 difficult. and Well, not if they have an extremely high level of respect for someone, like, for example, a sports idol or in my work, I can't really, I can't say his name, but there was someone who was an ex-pro um, 
I'll just say like he was a fighter of some kind, you know, get you get the idea like Muay Thai or boxing or something equivalent to that. And all the kids knew he, who he was and we paid him to be a mentor, very expensive mentor to some of our most um, disadvantaged and violent boys where he would teach them boxing and fighting skills but life lessons alongside it in the same way that, you know, Taekwondo, it's all about defense and respect. And there's a lot of like rule there. So I, I, even though I I wouldn't put these boys I work with in Taekwondo because they wouldn't, maybe they didn't, wouldn't respond well, but when they had this guy in front of him, that was super cool, won all his fights. He was violent, successful, handsome or whatever. And telling them like, he'd always be like, Boy, you gotta gotta say thank you to Eliza. This is what you do. This is how you speak to women. This is how you do this. Um, all these life lessons combined with the knowing that this guy is a total badass and could beat up anyone on the street. I thought was really effective in the same way that sports stars have that potential and do have that influence at times as well. So I do think there is possibility there. Like they're not going to rebel yeah, against true. every guy that speaks positively but it's the mass like influence that peers have on one another the same way that girls it's the same for guys when everyone is drawn to someone it absolutely has a huge influence of everyone is talking about andrew tate boys are going to get drawn to that and curious about that um and when the more you consume it the more you can convince yourself of something yeah and especially to an immature brain Sure, and he was just actually doing a multi-level marketing scheme at the end of the day. Yeah, Um, yeah. However, because there's a dearth of just sort of positive masculinity that then, you know, gravitate towards the toxic kind. Um, The thing with, yeah, a lot of those boys will like fighters and NRL players but or rappers. And the thing is, though, you want to try to – convince a lot of young boys and and younger men that you don't need you don't need to be a multimillionaire you don't need to be the best fighter in the world or the top nrl player you just need to have a good job and be a productive and constructive member of society and that is now seen as selling out or being in the matrix or just not as compelling as it used to be and 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 what it used to be even just in the post-war period was that, hey, you you don't have to be the most famous person out there, but if you have a good job, you'll be able to buy a house, you'll have a wife that loves you, you'll have children, and you'll just live a, you know, a, a, a humble but respectable life. Now, obviously that denied a lot of women the, the ability to uh, have a career. And so now that a lot of women have a career and uh, – are making their own money. It's not. I don't think a lot of men are necessarily resentful about that, but a lot of men actually like the idea of being the provider and like the idea of providing for someone that they love and and for their children. And now that it's more equitable, and for many younger people, that the the woman is often the the major breadwinner. There's there's there there isn't that sense of uh, oh I I'm needed I uh, have this responsibility and this duty because I'm I'm you know my family depends upon me and so society has to find a way to 
allow men to feel needed again whilst still maintaining all the autonomy and career gains that women have made? And that's a pretty yeah. tough question. That's a that's a pretty hard thing to do. I I I would suggest that uh, so a lot of these things you're talking about, right? A positive role model and things like that. That should really come from the father. A good father should provide that for their son, yeah. and then they won't need to look up to you know whatever gangster rappers or I don't know postcode guys or Andrew Tate. Um, or, or even Jordan Peterson. So, so Jordan Peterson probably appeals more to the sort of intellectually inclined lost men. And, um, yeah, you know, I'd be lying if I say he has, he's, he's spoken to me. I, I love uh, the vast majority of his message and I think he's very compelling and he doesn't shame men. He, he doesn't say, you know, you're, you're not, um, reaching the bare minimum. You're not, you know, you're, problematic he says hey look you can be uh something amazing but you got to get your act together and it's a far more compelling message um compared to what a lot of the rest of society is saying which is that you know you're either inherently problematic or you're you know you're not living up to the bare minimum which just makes men shut down more because they think well i'm just being shamed so i don't want to do anything um so there's that. I think if you if you have a more positive, less shame focused, uh, rather than focusing on what the the negatives of men today, focusing on what they could be, and what they're capable of, um, and I think Jordan, I think yeah, Jordan Peterson does that quite well, and and some of those male gurus do it well, um, and you know again, I think that's just another argument for a, for he- for healthy and positive male only spaces. Um, and yeah, it wasn't that long ago when the, you know, it was the father that, and and for most people, their father still does this role where they, you know, they take them out and whatever, go fishing with them or, you know, just do sort of stereotypically male activities. And, and that's when you do, um, uh, that's when you're taught the wisdom and, and, uh, lessons about life and, Sure, how to how to treat so what you were talking about there where he's coming in saying like this is how you talk to a woman, this is how you treat a woman. Well, like I think a lot of men are unsure about that now because there's one school of thought that says, well, we should treat everyone the same. And doesn't matter that she's a woman, you shouldn't treat her any differently to a man. But then there's the the other school of thought which is saying, no, like we should be more empathetic or more or we, we, there should be just a different way that we interact with the women in our life compared to the men in our life. So there's still this sort of confusing idea of if you are a father or if you are a man that's responsible for someone who might be influential, you don't even know what to say. Yeah. Does that, Ugh. does that make sense? Or <laughs> It makes sense. Yeah. It's, it, it's really hard. And I think that, I mean, to touch on what you said at, at, at the beginning um, of that, I kind of disagree in the I agree in the sense that men need a purpose a thousand percent. Mm-hmm. I don't agree, not that you were saying this, but I don't agree with the idea that it's because women are more successful that it's not happening as much because this is anecdotally speaking, but I have never I've dated a lot of men and I've never ever had a man tell me he wants to be a provider for me or he would look after me if I had kids or any of that. And I also know the exact same for my friends. Now that we're all at the age of having babies or having had babies or thinking about babies, 
a lot of my friends are coming up with this issue as well when the guy is like, well, how long am I expected to pay for you or when are you going to go back to work? And then, well, should I be having a baby now if I can't afford to take more than a year or two off? If I could only afford four months off, should I be doing that? Like I actually find that men are more likely to not want to be the providers these days, at least in Australia because it's so hard with inflation. It's like Mm. it's maybe if we were in a time and place where it was – doable it people would have a different school of thought um but i definitely am seeing that come up a lot more now where i even saw like a video of um go viral of a woman saying it's like anti-feminist to be allowing men to to split the bills with men she's like if you're a feminist you should be letting a man pay for you um because of what men have done historically to women and also because of pink tax and how much money i spent on my makeup per year and my hygiene products and my clothes like all these things in order to be appealing towards a man he at very least should pay there's definitely like like you said, there's two schools of thoughts about how to speak to a woman. There's schools of thoughts about how who should be the provider and how to be the provider. There's schools of thoughts on what's feminist and what's not feminist and all these things. It is like a really grey, um, complex kind of issue. But I guess to put it in a nutshell, I think a positive male influence that comes from your father is really um, – important but what's even more important at least when it comes to relationships is being able to witness and being surrounded not necessarily having to be your own parents if they're divorced or whatever being able to being in the presence of healthy relationships is so essential and I say that to Adrian all the time that Remy is going to be looking at us and how we interact with one another and show affection and love or discuss things and that is going to be his inherent blueprint for what he takes out into the world when he's a teenager and he's a boy as well and the influ- he's not going to be so much as copying the way that I am but he'd be more likely to be copying the way that Adrian is in the way that he interacts with his peers and his um lovers or I guess lover (laughs) me but yeah so it is really important and there is a big uh, issue with an absence of that male figure and in the same way that women had that you know there's the absence of a missed figure and the same way as well that if it was a man without a woman a mother figure in his life or that feminine nurturing aspect in his life it can be at a, a huge deficit in the same way that women that don't have a father figure in their life is going to be impacted as well. So, I mean, in this day and age, it's less you're less likely to have a nuclear family with your mum and dad together, married, um, in a healthy, stable relationship. You, it's almost, you know, you're more likely to have divorced parents almost nowadays. Um and of mm. course, there's death and there's violence and there's, you know, a million things, oh. work taking you away. There's so many factors there that it's almost, it's impossible to say this is the recipe to make a healthy and and, 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 and good child. It really comes down to, I'm about to say the recipes. 
<laughs> contradictory, but I think it really comes down to like this, the network or in my, in my work, like the therapeutic way of saying it would be like the circle of security, like who is around this kid influencing them. If it's not mom and dad, what school teachers are there? What other trusted adults are there? What peers are there? All the things that surround a child are what is going to be influence. And my friend from Mother's Group, who's a teacher, she always says, like minds attract like minds. And she said, you know, kids that have similar upbringing experiences, and I see this in my work as well, they flock together. And then it can be challenging because they then don't experience anything that challenges that. So they don't get to witness something like a healthy relationship or a healthy communication method if every single person in their peer group has dismissive avoidant attachment styles or something like that so yeah it's it's so complex so the social structures that have continuously been degraded um over the last (laughs) century basically and we've all been liberated from those social structures because some of those weren't in line with the ethics of the time but now that there's an absence of those social structures, uh, the, the next generations are going to continue to pay the, those costs and we're all individualistic yeah. and atomized and there's less community, there's less extended family and, and for some people there's, there's less family. There's uh, yeah. two overworked parents and, and due to economic concerns they have to do that that yeah. have no time for the children and then and then they're on social media all the time. I think I did read a statistic the other day that said uh, children who have an, you know, a worse home life are far more likely to spend time on social media and then there's this sort of exponential graph of the amount of time you spend on social media is the people who tend to spend more time on social media spend a lot more time on social media and they're also more vocal yeah. on social media. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, there are issues and um, it's it's cultural, it's economic, it's uh, it's a lot of things, isn't it? And uh, I do think, you know, coming back to the, the, the sort of springboard of this topic was male-only spaces. I think uh, there is a, a, a role for uh, healthy and positive male-only spaces in the in the years to come for for younger boys, but also for older men who mightn't have had those positive male influences, and then can experience that from a a community, a like-minded community. And and like you also fairly pointed out, there's nothing really preventing that per se. So it's on us, it's on men to actually start to develop those spaces and and move forward with them and commit to them. And it's easier said than done, but I think it will be done in the coming years. I think there is a need for it. Yeah. And don't forget, if you are a man thinking, shit, I need this, there is, don't forget, that Australian Men's Shed Association, which is literally what this is for. It's where men just congregate in an area. They work on, they say, a meaningful project together where it's basically just a way to have deep conversations but you're not actually looking at someone. You're building something or doing something. Um, You're distracted by something and you're just sharing a space together. So they're all around Australia as well. Yeah, so they do actually. They do already exist and maybe it's a superfluous conversation. Um, And... You know, I, I I think, you know, it's important to look at the context of everything like we talked about in the last podcast as well um, and 
Mm. Yeah, uh, if there are people listening that think, oh, look, the male-only space would just result in toxic attitudes, I would strongly com- compel them to think about that narrative and yeah, and listen to the podcast again. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Um, Well, thank you, uh, everyone, for listening. And make sure you subscribe. You follow us on Instagram, on on TikTok. And you share this podcast with anyone who you think it might be beneficial for. Read that book, Of Boys and Men. I cannot recommend that book enough. It is from a left-leaning person. It's not a Andrew Tate-like figure in any way, shape, or form. I think he has a whole chapter uh, criticizing those sorts of people of boys and men by richard reeves i I really strongly recommend that book otherwise thank you everyone and we'll see you next time see you next week